Hi, dance friends, and welcome to a special holiday episode of the Dance Edit podcast. I'm Margaret Fuhrer, and it's just me this week. My co-hosts are getting a much-deserved break. And without them around, rather than doing our usual news roundtable discussion, for this episode and also for next week's episode, I've put together a little Dance Edit Best of 2020 retrospective. If you've been listening for the past few months, then you're familiar probably with our voice memo series, which started back in April, just after the whole world shut down. And from then until the beginning of November, we asked one dance artist each week to leave a message for the dance community, like a voice message for their friends, getting into the things they were thinking about and working on. And some of those memos were really funny. Some of them were very poignant many of them are worth revisiting. And that's what we're going to do in this episode and next week's episode. We're going to re-air a few of our favorite voice memos. So the first that I'm going to play is from Amari Wiles, who is a legend of the ballroom scene. He is the creator of Les Ballets Afrique. He's a widely respected teacher. His memo premiered in episode 19, which was back on July 9th. And Amari should really have his own podcast. His voice is powerful, and I mean that in every sense of the word. Um, In his memo, he gets into the importance of intersectionality in all of our celebrations of the arts. So here's Amari's message. No shade, no tea. Hey, Dance Edit listeners, my name is Omari Wiles. I am one of the legendary children of the NYC ballroom scene, and now the founding father of the international Royal House of Nina Orici. I am also the director of Le Ballet Afrique, a company that strives off of the diversity and identity that we show within our movement. As a Black, gay, man, father, teacher, it is important for me to connect with my community on a more nurturing level. There's not many fathers in our scene, parents in our scene, who care for our scene. People of color within the LGBT community have struggled with acceptance, tolerance, respect, and the lack of opportunities. We are not seeing genuine allies speaking up for this community, specifically gay and transgender black bodies. Over the years, trans and cisgender men and women who identify as anything other than heterosexual have been frequently portrayed as a joke, a stereotype, or another burial on TV, a murder. Instead of who we are truly and what we have successfully accomplished, as a gay Black artist, the ignorance from heterosexual men and women should not be overlooked and made into a norm. We are not a joke. Our lives do matter. Our stories are told by those who look from the outside in. I believe with systematic racism comes ignorance. Systematic ignorance has been taught and passed down from generation to generation. As many bad traits that we have seen over the years. We are judged, casted out, threatened, beaten, and killed for the stereotypes placed 
on the LGBT community. Some may say, we deserve this. Some judge us just because of our sexuality and think it's okay and make it okay for others to do the same. This has come in many faces. People of color, we have faced this, the same judgment, the same casting out, the same beatings, threats, the same killings. We shouldn't be seeing it and receiving it from our own. We need to change the narrative, make a new norm, get people to see and understand our lifestyle, who we are. We are measured by our skin tone and still separated by our body parts. What is it about the letter G that gets the girls riled up? What is it about the letter T that is so hard to swallow? It is not hard for people of color who identify as LGBTQ to walk hand in hand with our black heterosexual counterparts. Why? Because black lives matter. As a black gay artist, it is important that my work shows black culture and hold it to a higher standard than what the film, dance, music, and theater industries have consistently made us out to look like. We are not for just your entertainment. We are not just a joke, a key key. The art that I am creating with Le Ballet Afrique is going to help express true stories, feelings, emotions, and provide meaning to so many who misunderstand us, who have been trained, who have been nurtured to see us as the enemy. When we stand in the same skin and we're riding the same ride. Next, we have a memo from another prominent member of the underground dance scene, Efrat Asheri. Efrat is a breaker, a choreographer, the artistic director of Efrat Asheri Dance, and one of the most formidable thinkers in the dance world. This memo premiered back in episode 15, which was on June 11th. It was the first memo we had recorded after the death of George Floyd, and you can hear that in Efrat's voice and in her message. Here it is. My name is Efrat Asheri, and I'm a New York City-based dancer and choreographer. Thank you for having me here today on Dance Edit. Like many all over this nation, I find myself hoarse from raising my voice in support of the Black community that has shaped my life in art. Like many all over the country and throughout the world, I'm asking myself what I can do to support the movement for Black liberation. As a member of New York City's underground dance community, being out in the street, seeing people pouring out of their homes, businesses, their cars, deeply echoes the ritual of the way we gather at the club. The protests, a visual manifestation of the momentum that is growing and the push for real transformative change. 
White folks like myself stand in support to help gird and guard the message. But still, we have to question what can we do to instantiate the systemic changes needed to end white supremacy and racial injustice in this country. I am swept up in the enormity of it all, and then I pause. Where the hell was I before this moment? My work is rooted in black vernacular dance, and I was fortunate enough to be in New York during hip-hop's golden era, and eventually welcomed into breaking and soon after into New York City's underground dance community, where I was introduced to a multitude of culturally reflective styles like house, whacking, and vote. But really what I was guided into, and I quote house dance pioneer Ejo Wilson, was quote, freedom dancing, end quote. The manifestation of movement that only the freedom of your mind, body, and soul can create. Vernacular dancer and scholar Latasha Barnes describes it as, quote, how freedom would dance if given the chance, end quote. It's not arbitrary that it was through these styles, reflective of the resilience, fortitude, pain, and joy of Black and Black LGBTQ communities' lived experiences, that I fully discovered dance's power to express, communicate, narrate, and transmute seemingly unsayable thoughts and feelings. Everyone in EAD is from the underground community and from all different backgrounds with embodied connections to Senegal, Nigeria, France, China, Israel, Brazil, and of course various parts of the U.S., a microcosm of New York City and the club community. We tour, teach, and educate about our community's roots and history, its legacy of pioneers and sages who have poured into us and continue to share with us their invaluable lived and embodied experiences. But is this enough to truly be reciprocal? It is not a coincidence that the ethos of the club, where the collective consciousness celebrates each unique individual, is where I gained the confidence to be an artist, to create work, and to speak up. The inclusivity and tolerance espoused in Chuck Roberts' booming house anthem, quote, you may be black, you may be white, you may be Jew or Gentile, it doesn't make a difference in our house, end quote. But my question is now, have I really been speaking up? Have I really been taking care of our house? The underground dance community has been my dance family for almost two decades. There have been countless hours of dancing, laughing, conversing, and bread breaking. But I've also witnessed repeated inequities as well as injustices in policing, healthcare, racial profiling, and erasure. As an artist and friend, I always believed my purpose to have been aligned with the values of the Black community and towards uplifting Black voices to tell their own stories. But where was my concrete activism? And where were my actionable steps outside of the art world, outside of the club? I'm questioning if art making as a white woman is enough. The paradox of being absolutely committed to the fight for Black liberation and simultaneously benefiting from the system that was created to continuously oppress the Black community. Here is my privilege, live and direct. Here is my complacency, unmasked. The truth is that even for all of us white artists who have been doing the work and will continue to do the work in multiple ways, visibly, invisibly, interpersonally, institutionally, civically, and artistically, until our Black brothers and sisters can exist fully in their freedom, in the underground and above ground, in club lights and in the sunlight, in cities and in the countryside, worldwide, our work will never be done. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll have our epic joint voice memo from Stella Abrera and Sasha Radetsky. So stay tuned. 
If you love the Dance Edit podcast, we have a feeling you'll love the Conversations on Dance podcast too. Started in 2016 by former Miami City Ballet dancers Rebecca King Ferraro and Michael Sean Breeden, it brings you closer to the dancers and artists you love. Each week, Rebecca and Michael sit down with a new guest to learn about their careers and experiences within the art form, with episodes that interest students, professionals, and enthusiasts alike. The Conversations on Dance podcast is back now with all new interviews, and its more than 200 past episodes include interviews with Isabella Boylston, Alastair McCauley, Justin Peck, and Jennifer Garner, to name just a few. Listen to Conversations on Dance wherever you get your podcasts or on conversationsondancepod.com and connect with them on social media at Conversations on Dance. Okay, welcome back. Our last memo today is from one of the ballet world's most recognizable couples. That's ballerina Stella Abrera, a star of American Ballet Theater, who's now also artistic director of Katzban Cultural Park in upstate New York, and Sasha Radetzky, former ABT soloist and now director of the ABT Studio Company. When we first started this series, we proposed to each artist that they leave about a five-minute memo, and Stella and Sasha sent... I think it was a total of 35 minutes, every one of them compelling. We ultimately whittled it down to a 13-minute memo, which first aired in episode 13 on May 28th. It features the dramatic story of their entry into lockdown, and then some characteristically thoughtful reflections on the state of the dance world and the larger world. So here it is. Hi there, Dance Edit listeners. This is Stella Abrera. And Sasha Radetsky. And we are greeting you all from upstate New York, where Sasha and I have been sheltering in place since March 14th. So picture it. I'm in St. Petersburg, Russia. It's the middle of the night. I had just completed two weeks of work at the Marinsky, where I had the immense honor of setting Seven Sonatas, a Rettmansky Ballet on the gorgeous Marinsky company. Um, I notice my phone is ringing. It wakes me up in the middle of the night, 4 a.m., and I realize there were like 10 missed calls from Sasha because... So that afternoon, I got a tip from one of my dancers uh, ABT studio company dancers whose father works with the airline industry. And she messaged me and she said, look, I know that Stella is in Russia and Trump is going to lock down flights coming in. He's going to ban flights coming in from Europe tonight. So I freaked out and I thought, okay, we got to get Stella home before she gets stuck over there. And so... It was very Mission Impossible, like, Sasha was awesome, got me another plane ticket home. I had Six hours later. Six hours later. Anyway, so long story short, I'm able to get back home to New York City. Very romantic, and my knight in shining armor. <laughs> very selfish. Slash, I wanted her slash back. travel agent <laughs> got me back home. When did the pandemic first start to really hit home? I think it was then. When all those travel bans started coming down and we realized that 
we were going Life to have to start and, yeah, sheltering work in place. And, it yeah, it was going to end abruptly. Mm-hmm. And our tours started uh, being canceled. The, the domino effect um, began shortly thereafter. But we rallied. We regrouped. As dancers and, do, yeah. everyone just got creative and resourceful. Yeah, and pretty quickly the company mobilized to start offering classes through Zoom as well. Uh, Cynthia, Harvey, and I started offering classes to the upper level, well, all of JKO and studio company um, with our with our staff. So I have to say it's been it's been quite moving to see these dancers in their living rooms or in their bedrooms or in their kitchens or on a little patio somewhere, continuing to work hard and pursue their dreams and just make it work. I mean, they're just, they're undaunted and they keep plugging away and they're not going to let these circumstances keep them from doing what they love to do. And, and we talk about how, you know, how, how do we reconcile and sort of the disparity of risk between frontline workers and those of us who are at home safe. And we've just settled on continuing to try to create art and uh, not take these moments of safety for granted, not be, not be idle but to be grateful for each moment and to, to use each moment to better ourselves as artists and humans and try to help help one another. Wow, I really digressed. Yeah, but you hit home, and it's all really important to keep that in mind. Um, I, I have one more mm-hmm. thing to add, and I'm sorry to, uh, to veer toward the graver end of the spectrum, but... It really started, the pandemic really started to hit home when we started losing people we knew. Absolutely. One of the JKO teachers' husband passed away. He was an emergency room doctor. And her uh, her spirit has certainly been inspiring to all of us. Uh, also, we, we lost a beloved, Berman, te- a beloved teacher. Yeah, and, yes. then, and then uh, Noni, one of your friends. So you know, that's the kind of starkest realization that this is, this stuff is real. Yes, I am heartbroken that my farewell performance was canceled at the Metropolitan Opera House. I was really looking forward to saying goodbye to that beloved theater um, and to many cherished roles in this season. Um, My heart also does go out to many of my friends and coworkers who were slated to have big debuts this season. It was going to be a big season for so many. I will say that I am incredibly grateful to look back on my career at ABT and to know that I have 24 years of memories of being on so many of the world stages of dancing so many incredible works of art with fantastic dancers. So that is what I will celebrate. So as well as 
retiring from ABT, I'm transitioning into the position of artistic director at Katzban Cultural Park for Dance. It's right on the Hudson River with enormous cathedral-like dance studios and just wonderful opportunity for dance residencies. Although we were disappointed that Mark Morris, ABT Studio Company, Martha Nichols, and Alejandro Ceruto, among many others, couldn't come on site to perform or have their residencies, we were able to have a digital dance residency, which is a, a way for us to share the work of these wonderful groups and artists with a broader reach that uh, social media can help us attain. So not only did we pivot from our on-site performances and residencies, but we also revamped our on-site ballet intensive program. So now that will be offered online. It invigorates me as a teacher and as a dancer and as a dance lover to see the next generation be so hardcore and <laughs> so inspiring at such a young age. So that's been the silver lining for me. I think it's going to just feel incredible to get back in a studio and do a Gran Allegro sequence across the floor or go on stage and do a menage and have that space and freedom just to be among kindred spirits doing what you love to do, I think is, uh, it's going to be really powerful and meaningful. And as a viewer to be in an audience, I mean, we're going to have new appreciation for those community, uh, endeavors. I don't think anyone's ever going to complain about an uncomfortable seat in the audience or a slippery floor or bright lights ever again. We're just going to be so grateful to be doing what we love to do for what it's worth. I'll read you something I wrote to my studio company dancers when we all scattered into quarantine. Mind, this is where we can now make real progress as artists, intellectuals, seekers of experience and wisdom. Now we have the time to read everything. Now we can listen to and appreciate all the music. Please research ABT, its repertoire, choreographers, dancers, designers, leaders. Research other dance companies, ballet and otherwise. Watch all the good ballet videos on YouTube. Watch the Oscar-winning movies from the last few decades. Volunteer virtually. Pin someone special a poem. Sketch a portrait of your grumpy family cat or the pigeon on your windowsill. Move, create, dream. Take a beginner tap class on YouTube. Look up Einstein's theories of relativity and Hawking's findings on black holes and let your mind blow apart. Then gaze up into the night sky as if for the first time. Take a crack at playing an instrument, if you can access one. Memorize a poem or monologue. Decide which ballets, books, or paintings move you and consider why. Discover what it is about your favorite dancer, beyond the obvious, that's so mesmerizing. Build your artistic palette. Expand your range of reference. Get worked up about something of meaning and beauty. Stoke your curiosity for art and life. From our home to yours, sending love to all in the dance world. Thanks for having us. That's a hard act to follow. Um, thanks, everyone, for joining us for this holiday special. We'll be back next week with more of our favorite voice memos of 2020. And in the meantime, keep learning, keep advocating, and keep dancing. Happy holidays, y'all.
The Dance Edit Podcast is a product of Dance Media, publisher of Dance Magazine, Dance Spirit, Point, Dance Teacher, Dance Business Weekly, and the Dance Edit Newsletter. Our hosts are Courtney Escoyne, Margaret Fuhrer, Lydia Murray, and Cadence Neenan. Our music is by Celestine, with special thanks to Broadway Dance Center for helping us record those football sounds. Find out more about the Dance Edit and subscribe to our daily newsletter at thedanceedit.com.